0: Good morning. Well, uh, let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer, and we'll jump right into the passage. Father, we just come to you this morning, and, and Lord, I ask that you would give us the, the ability to, to glean from this passage uh, more than, than information and truth. We ask, Father, that from, from what we study and look at today, you would just change us and broaden our expectations of our inheritance, what we, what we receive in our relationship with you. So come and have your way with us today. Give me clarity of speech and, and thought. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, as Michael said, we've been going through the, uh, Paul's letter to the Colossian church. and. The, the passage we're at today is, is one of my favorite passages. Up till now, one of the themes that we see in Colossians has been Paul explaining to this young, new church who Jesus is, giving us an idea of, of his character and, and his, the way and the manner in which he wants to relate to people. So up till now, we've been discovering, the Colossians have been discovering who Jesus is, what his heart is, we, we've had the focus placed on him. And now in, in this chapter, we're in chapter 3, what we see is there's an inclusion and, and somewhat of a shift in that Paul wants to make sure that those in Colossae, those Christians these, in this young, new church plant, understand clearly who they are in response to who, who Christ is just fundamental for every human being, and this is, this is God's intention, it's, it's part of being created in his image, fundamental to a healthy walk with Christ, fundamental to really functioning in a healthy manner just as a human being, there needs to be and there's a desire to have some sense of purpose, some identity, Why am I here? Who am I? What am I for? And intuitively, instinctively, just because we're created in God's image, inside every single one of us, there is that that hole that desires not only to know God, that God-shaped hole, that God-shaped void that needs to be filled, but also there is that void within every human being to come to understand why am I here? What is my significance? That's what Paul begins to discuss today. And all of us, we go through life, we come into life looking to find out, looking to have that that uh, question answered. Why am I here? Who am I? And unfortunately for many people, the answers that we get, the answers that we we grab hold to aren't necessarily accurate. You know, for for me, I, I know one of the major inputs and, and um, early programming, if you will, that I received was through my through school, which was not a great experience for me. I'm dyslexic. I had uh, and have difficulty in reading. It takes a lot of energy and concentration that I that I don't need like to expend. And going to school was never ever a good experience for me. It didn't start out good. It didn't end up good. I managed, but it, it was not positive. And I remember as a, as a little kid, it affected how I began to draw a sense of who am I and what am I. One of the problems was I was a sparrow. And, and what I mean by that is, in I think it was in first grade, they broke down the class into reading groups. Yeah, some of you experienced that yourselves and they had the eagles, they were the smarty pants. The eagles were the ones that were reading, you know, like, you know, Shakespeare, you know, by the time they were at a nursery school. The, the, the eagles were the top-rated reading group. Then they had the hawks. The hawks weren't quite as good as the eagles, but the hawks, they were, they were good, good readers. Then they had the, the ravens. The ravens still were, were better than I was. And then they had the sparrows. And you didn't have to be a genius to understand you have the mighty eagles, the, you know, the noble hawks, powerful ravens, and the sparrows. You know, we'd go out on the, uh, on the playground, and you know, the, the people segregated in their reading groups. You know, the, the eagles, OK, eagles, come over here. You know, they, they were in first grade, but they had deep voices. You know the, you know the the hawks. You know, okay, hawks over here. You know, ravens over here. You know, sparrows. Any other sparrow? I mean, so there was this keen sense from from the very beginning that I was falling short. That I, I didn't have what it what it took. That insofar as academics and, and formal education, that wasn't something that was my, my cup of tea and it began it began to have an effect on me. Fortunately, the Lord had given me uh, a grandfather who sort of counterbalanced that, but he was my grandfather. He had to love me. He had to, he had to think I was wonderful. But I began to form this sense of of identity, this sense of self based on the input that I was getting. And and all of you have been in situations like that. Maybe maybe you were maybe you were an eagle, you know, but but there are, there are, whether it's your friends, or whether it's uh, your parents, or whether it was uh, other individuals in your life, we all recognize how our experiences, how people relate to us, how people speak to us, has an effect as we begin to draw this sense of, who am I, as we answer answer that question. Beyond that, beyond the input that we get from others, What happens also, and and for me, certainly, and I think for most people during my teen years where I was desperately trying to figure out who am I, why am I, what am I, what am I for, I became more and more keenly aware of how fallen and how broken I was. You know, Paul talks in Romans chapter 7 about how the good that we want to do, we we realize we're not even doing that. The very things that we don't want to do, we are doing. And in my teen years, though I wouldn't admit it certainly to my parents or to most of my friends, in my teen years, I began to recognize that there were patterns and attitudes, behaviors that I didn't like about myself. There are ways in which I was relating to others. There were views that I had. There was behaviors that I had that that didn't even live up to the, the desires that I had. So not only was do people have input and internalize the the voices of others and and their experience in life, whether they're a sparrow or whatever their 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 life path has has brought to them. Not only are we internalizing those situations in our development of answering the question of who am I, but we begin to be aware and have our conscience developed where we come to understand that we're not even living up to our own expectations. So what we end up doing quite frequently uh, is we begin to put on masks at an early age. We put on costumes to try to pretend that we're something that we're not. And, and this is something that is, is true, and we'll see how the scriptures speak to this. This is something that is true of all human beings, that we develop these false identities that we place over ourselves in, in an attempt to try to convince others or even to convince ourselves that we're something that we're not. And we, we can find it just as readily in a church where we come to church, we all walk around with a mask in front of our face pretending that we're fine, our family's fine, our marriage is wonderful, our children are all geniuses, our, you know, our pets you know, roll over when you tell them. Everything is terrific. And we wear these masks when we come to church. That's a nice shirt, I like that. We wear, wear these masks when we come to church And what happens is we're not relating to each other. No one really gets to know us because we're all hiding behind masks. And what we see in the scriptures and what we will be seeing today in the passages that we're looking at is God's keen desire to say, I want you to know who you are. I don't want it to be defined by other people. I don't want it to be defined by... Difficult experiences in your home, at school, with friends. I don't want you to have your identity defined by your awareness of how far short you fall, even living up to what your conscience says you ought to be. But we'll see today how Jesus is the one who wants to tell us who we are. So Colossians chapter 3 We'll jump right into it. Verse 1, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Remember a few weeks ago, what is true of Jesus has been declared true of us by God, that we have been identified with Christ. We've been baptized into Christ. Therefore, if Jesus rose up from the grave into new life, Paul is saying, recognize that there's a new life in you. You've been raised up in Christ. Set your hearts, therefore, on things above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So Paul is beginning to address something that is so pertinent in finding out who we are, why we are, the purpose for our existence. And he says, You need to lift your eyes up because our identity, our purpose, why we're here, who we are, and who we're not, doesn't come from those things that you could see and ascertain from your relationships and your experiences here on earth. It is learned, it's found only in our relationship with Christ. We'll see how that presses out. I love how this passage, this verse, is translated in, in, the, in the, uh, the message version, which is a, a paraphrase of the Bible. It's, uh, it says this. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you, but look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ, because that's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Not only are we called to to see life from his perspective... To understand what is what is happening whether it's at work in our homes in our relationships or within that we need to understand it and see it and and comprehend it from from his perspective but we need to also see who we are from his perspective understand why we are from his perspective A, a verse that, that, that goes right along with this in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Again, out of the message uh, version, it says, This resurrection life received from God is not a timid, grave tending life. It is, a, it is adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what, What's next, Papa? That's how we're called to live. That we get to enter each situation. We get to walk into each moment. We get to wake up each day with an expectancy of my relationship with God has set for me a path, has provided for me a purpose. And that the normal Christian life is one where, moment by moment, it's it's what's next, Papa. So Paul says, lift your eyes up. Don't shuffle around, eyes to the ground, absorbed with things here on earth, but set your mind, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Verse 3, it says, For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. See, we're not just some isolated creature displaced, walking around this earth trying to just make it have some meaning, trying to just sin a little bit less. But we're children of God. Whether we recognize it or not, we're children of God whether we've received Christ or not. And Jesus is continually calling us to come close. He's calling those who are separated from him to come and find forgiveness and relationship with him. And for those who have received Christ and have that gift of forgiveness, he's calling us into that next step of understanding how we can walk with him, how we can be used by him, how our life is not just, just one more pawn in his, in his major game, but he created us for a purpose, and each moment has, has real purpose. So he says, we've died, and our life is now hidden in Christ. Our identity, our life, Our purpose comes in our relationship with Him. And it's Christ who is the only one who can let us know who we are. It's Christ who is the only one that can let us know why we exist. And it's Christ who is the only one that has designed tomorrow a path for you to walk in. That is designed specifically for you, where you can walk with him like the disciples walked with Jesus through the the dusty roads of Galilee and understand I'm not just shuffling around through this life trying to mind my own business until Jesus returns, but there is purpose in how we live. But there's this tension. There's a tension because there's still these voices from the past, voices whether it be from our parents who, who thought, well, you're just never going to amount to anything. Voices of our brothers and sisters and, and, and recognition that we just are falling short. We're the black sheep of the family. Voices of, of our experiences in school with, with friends names that we perhaps were called and maybe have come to learn to call ourselves. And even though we're far from our childhood, it's very easy, isn't it, to walk around with, with those individuals in your back pocket. And you hear those voices from within saying, you're, you're not gonna amount to anything. You're not gonna be able to do this. Hell yeah, you think you're gonna go ahead and get that raise? Even if they gave you that promotion, you're, you'll fail. Voices that, that are repeating things that were said to you by, by your ex-spouse, by your ex-boyfriend, your ex-girlfriend, by, by so-called friends from the past. We carry them with us. We have the internal voice of our conscience who is, who, that makes us very aware that we fall short. Every day that we, we sometimes don't don't like ourselves very much. So Paul says, No, I want you to understand that you have died. That's no longer who you are. And Christ now wants the opportunity to define you, to speak to you, to imprint his truth within you. Our life is now, our life is now hidden in Christ. In God. We're His. You're His. And if you don't know that, you're missing out. If you're not walking in that reality in an ever increasing manner, you're living a substandard Christian existence. We cannot discover who we are through anything here in this world don't discover who we are by how this world responds to us. We discover who we are, why we are, and what we're for by getting our eyes, the eyes of our mind, the eyes of our heart, towards Jesus. And and for some of us, what we end up doing is we we think, "I'll, I'll just dive within and I'll figure out who I am. Uh, we begin to engage in in introspection. We think if I could understand enough about myself Mm -hmm. then I'll have control over being who I want to be and and rising up. And and we, we engage in all sorts of efforts in our introspection. It's become an epidemic in our culture. I mean you can't go on the internet without having, you know, an offer of, you know, a, a dozen different tests you could take in any day. You know, discover what animal you are. Discover what color you're most like. Discover, you know, the, 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 the fairy tale character that is, is mo- you're most similar to. We love taking those tests. We love reading books that give us the, you know, the 25 characteristics of adult children, of alcoholics. We, we, we want to understand what makes us tick. Because we we assumed that if I could understand what makes me tick, then I can have control over it. Not so. It's Christ who is our life. It's not insight that results in change. It's not insight into yourself that results in change. It's Jesus that brings about change. And no matter how much we understand about ourselves, no matter how much we introspect, no matter how much we look within, we're not going to be able to change ourselves. We're not going to be able to control life. We're not going to be able to make life safe. We're not going to avoid problems from the past. It is Christ who's apprehended. And our responsibility is now to respond by grabbing hold of him. Verse 5, it says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He says, you have died in Christ. That's our positional reality. In other words, you no longer are that fallen person predetermined just to fall into into sin, predetermined to simply have to shuffle around in this life. You've died in Christ. Now he says, I want you to put to death. Make your positional reality what is true by the declaration of, of God himself. I want you to make your positional reality your experiential reality. God sees us as new creatures. Now Paul is saying, so understand that, believe that, and literally reckon yourself as being dead to those sins, to those earthly uh, powers and voices and, and, and your fleshly desires. We're bringing our experiential reality into conformity to our positional reality in Christ. Put to death those things that that call out from within. Say no, literally give no power, give no authority to that sinful nature. We can say no, in other words, to the false identities that have been spoken into us. We don't have, just to have to just walk in lockstep with what a parent may have said to us, what a, what a person may have said to us, what teachers may have said to us, because there is another who has authority and has power to produce in us another reality. Paul saying Say no to false IDs. As powerful as, as those voices may be, as powerful as those voices uh, are in our lives and directing how we think of ourselves, we now have authority to say stop. And God will back up those those stands, if you will, that we take. You know, uh, for the last, probably now, last 20, 30 years, I've been a chaplain at various different police departments. Uh, and one of the things that they do, if you're a chaplain, is they give you a badge, you know, so, which was a, a minor motivation, wanting to be a chaplain. So, <laughs> you know, all little boys want to have badges, and I just never grew up. So I, so I have this badge and you know a number of years ago when I first got the badge and, and first became a chaplain I, I, I stopped at a uh, there was an accident on the highway and I just stopped to pull over to see if I could help out. It was a rather serious accident and there was one police cruiser on the scene, one, one uh, police officer and he was trying to tend to the person who was injured, and, and there were other people, hang, you know, stopped and hanging around, and cars zipping on by. And, and the, the police officer, you know, I said, I'm a police chaplain, I showed him my badge. And he said, uh, go stand in the middle of the street and, and, and tell the cars to stop. <laughs> and I said, just stand in the middle and just, he goes, you have a badge, tell them to stop. So I okay. So I hung the badge around my neck, I walked out into the middle of the road and put my hand up. It stopped. <laughs> and I was thinking, but I'm just Danny. But I had a badge. And that badge gave me authority to say stop. And they stopped. And, and this is the picture we have in, in the scriptures. Paul is saying, you have died in Christ. That's the reality. You have authority now to say stop to the voices, to say stop to the the fallen desires and the sinful desires that that are, are stirring from within. And the power of the Holy Spirit is within us to give us that power and that authority. That God, when we take those stand, when we say to the voice that says, you will never amount to anything. Don't step out, don't take a risk, because it's not going to work. Who do you think you are? You know, who do you think you are to 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 go to a small group? Who do you think you are to, to lead in a small group? Who do you think you are to take some responsibility in the church? Who do you think you are to, to go and reach out to your neighbor? Who do you think you are to, to pray for the co-worker who is sick? Paul's saying, I'll tell you who you are, and I'll tell you why you are. You're a carrier of the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is within you. Your life is is hidden in Christ, in God. That's who you are. And you have the authority to take those stands and the power of the Holy Spirit within you to back up those stands. Verse 6 says, because of these things, because of the, the sinful nature that, that rises up and wants to take control, Paul says, incidentally, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. That doesn't sound too hot. What what happened to grace? But properly understood, that's perhaps one of the most gracious verses in the Scriptures. At least it alludes to one of the most gracious aspects of who God is and who we are. You see, God is, is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, perfectly just, entirely good entirely holy and a holy, righteous, perfect, just God can't just say, oh, well, you know, you're sending a little bit, a little bit of immorality, a little bit of, of uh, you know, a problem with your attitudes and your behavior. Well, we'll just look the other way. No, God says, I am a holy God. And in fact, the scriptures say that God says that the penalty for sin is death. And that holy God who is compelled to say that in my justice and in my holiness, sin cannot be tolerated, that same holy, just God, out of His mercy and out of His grace, stepped off the throne of heaven, became a human being like you and I, and said, I'll take the penalty on myself the same holy God that is compelled to pour out his wrath on sin came to earth in the likeness of human beings, was nailed to a cross and said, I'll receive the full wrath of God for your sin, for my sin. And what's more, then I'll give a lifetime for you to respond and receive that free gift. This is amazing grace. This is amazing grace. goes on in verse 7 and says, For you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, You used to just assume since these desires rose up within you that caused you to to sin in a variety of ways that that was just who you were. That's That's just your life. That's just the nature of your existence. Paul says you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Not just the ones that he listed already, but he adds. He says, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy talk from your lips. He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. He's beginning to give a, give a, a mental picture, a, a, an image of, of we put on Christ, having taken off our old self. The glory of the gospel, the reason why we call it the gospel of, of Christ, literally the good news of Christ, what makes it such good news is not only that we have forgiveness of our sins, but God is at work in us so we don't have to continually be a slave to sin. The good news is that, yes, you're forgiven, but now, in an ever-increasing way, you can begin to say no to the desires, to the urges, to the the nudges from our fallen nature. And we can begin to say yes to that new identity that Christ is forming in us. An identity that is reflective of who He is. An identity that says that you are Christ's children. You're Christ's child and what is true of him has been declared true of you, now we get to play catch-up and say, Jesus, won't you form your good character in me? Rid yourselves of such things. Take off your old self and its practices. So we walk into situations where we, we've seen patterns in our lives when we think, oh, I know, this is not going to be a pretty picture. You know, you, 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 perhaps you're driving home after a hard day at work. You know you're, you're uh, emotionally drained. You're anticipating that your roommate is going to have left dishes in the sink that your kids are going to leave bicycles in the driveway, that things aren't going to be as you wish when you get home, and you think, oh, I I see what's coming. This isn't going to be pretty. Jesus is saying, you have a choice now. Not mind over matter, not just get a stiff upper lip and go and act right. But say, Jesus, that's no longer who I am. That's not my identity. So, Lord, I'm going to go home, and, my, and I'm going to, to step out, if you will. I'm going to put on the right character. But, Jesus, if you don't back it up, if you don't give me grace, if you don't give me the ability to walk it out, I'm going to stumble. So, in, in the same way as, as, as Peter stepped out of the boat, when he saw Jesus and said, Jesus, as Jesus was walking towards the, the, the apostles when they were fishing, Peter says, can I, can I come to you, Jesus? Can I walk on the water? Jesus said, come. Sure. But that wasn't part of Peter's normal life. He didn't have the ability within himself to walk on water. But Jesus said, you can. It made a difference. So Jesus levitated Peter up and over the side of the boat and gently down onto the water, right? No. Peter said, can I come to you? Jesus said, yes. And then Peter had to do something that was incredible. He had to step off over the side of the boat and actually put his foot on the water. To do something that was not within his character, his nature, or ability to do. Knowing that, Jesus, if you don't hold me up, this isn't going to work. But Peter had to step out, didn't he? And then God gave him what was necessary to walk it out. And that's what Paul is talking about. Whether we're talking about our speech and our attitudes, slander, gossip, and those kinds of things. Talking about attitudes within, we or talk, talking about some addiction or, or area of immorality that we think, well, I'm just a victim to it. I just can't help myself. Peter's saying, no. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. And step out and see and watch the power and the presence, the authority of God within you allow you to do what you've been created to do to be who you've been created to be so we go home and we say okay Lord I'm not going to lose my temper I'm not going to react but you're going to have to give me the grace for that to work out and we pull in the driveway drive around the bicycle and we walk in and see the dishes in the sink and whatever else and we say Hi, sweetie, how are you? Hope you had a good day. And, we were, and we're saying, Lord, come quickly. <laughs> and he will. And he does. Because that's the nature of this relationship we have. He tells us who we are. We step out into our positionally re- positional reality, the positional truth, and he provides for us what is necessary to walk in that new reality. Verse 10, it says, coming out of verse 9, it says, since you've taken off your old self, now in verse 10 he says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. There's a process going on. There's a process going on. It's going to take a lifetime. We're never going to fully be like Christ this side of heaven. But we can see and we should see and we're able to see continual change as we give more of ourselves to Him. We're being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of of the Creator. Here, There is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your background. If this was written today, it would say there's no difference between black or white, Parisian or or Syrian, Mexican or American, Because Christ loves all. And Christ wants to work in everyone's life. And Christ is active in everyone's life. And it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your parents said you were. It doesn't matter what your teachers said you were. It doesn't matter what your experience has been. It doesn't matter what addiction has, has held you. Because Christ is all and in all. And he is at work. And he is for us. Therefore, as chosen people holy and dearly beloved. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's a process underway and it will last a lifetime. But it's grounded in our relationship with a living God. It's not grounded in just simply knowing truth from the neck up. It's grounded in a relationship. The reason why we need to be men and women of the word is because the word points to him. The reason why we need to be part of a church is because community helps us to see him. The reason why there's this process of change, this process of sanctification going on within us, is because Christ is forming us into His image. But it's it comes from seeing Him. We're being renewed by the knowledge of our Creator. Now. This word knowledge, remember in earlier chapters, we talked about how in in prior chapters it was the word uh, gnosis, you know, to know something. But here, when he uses the word knowledge, it's a different word. It's gnosis with a prefix, epinosis. And it's a knowledge that comes from proximity. It's a knowledge that comes from being near. We are being renewed because we have an experiential, we need to, we ought to, and we're invited to have an experiential knowledge of Jesus. Because we get to walk with him. We get to see him. We get to see the examples like Jim shared this morning. We get to see examples of his fingerprints, his activity in our lives from the inside out and sometimes all around us. And that's why the Scriptures and the Gospels, we have story after story of whose lives, people, people whose lives have been turned upside down because of proximity to Jesus, because of their nearness to Jesus. Yeah, you know, the woman who touched the hem of his garment, the woman who, at the well, the woman who was brought before him as an adulteress, the change in the life of Zacchaeus, the change in the life of the disciples, Jesus grabbing hold of four fishermen, Andrew and Peter and James and John. And what did he say? Here's a book. Read this pamphlet. It's going to change your life. (laughs) He said, come follow me. They spent three years just walking with Jesus, just listening to him, watching him, asking him questions. That's the normal Christian life. You might not be able to see Jesus like the disciples, but he's with you in fact, greater than the disciples' experience because he's within you. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He's writing God's words on your heart and on your mind. We get to walk with Jesus, have proximity with Jesus, and because of that, we are are being changed like the disciples were. Those, Those four fishermen changed the world by the grace and power of God. So Jesus says, Paul says, don't be looking at the things here on earth. Don't be listening to the voices from those here on earth. Don't just be captivated and captured by the the worldly, fleshly desires within you. But fix your eyes on Jesus. Let the eyes of your heart and the eyes of your mind see me, listen to me, look to me, because I will tell you who you are I will tell you why you are not just once or twice but day after day after day Jim, as he was driving around after he got 40 turkeys found out just who Jesus was in that moment and he has more to show us this afternoon when you get up in the morning he'll have more to show you then too why don't you stand up So in us, we, we all we all need to find out who we are. And we all need to learn how to walk in this life, not just simply looking at what, what's before us, but getting our eyes re, refocused, making our focus not just what's before us, but setting our eyes on Christ. And what I believe the Lord wants to do today is that I think he just wants to have some time with you and him. So there, I believe there are individuals here today, I'm sure there are individuals here today, who are facing some overwhelming situations. It might be health situations. It might be situations with people and relationships that are, that are damaged or broken. It may be overwhelming situations financially or, or career-wise. But you're facing overwhelming situations, and it's, they're just looming large before you. And I believe Jesus wants to say, I want there to be a moment where you can deliberately get your eyes off that situation and say, Jesus, let me find the glimpse of you and your provision. I think there are other people here today who have fallen in now and maybe in the past have fallen into the same broken patterns of your life. It may be patterns of speech. It may be patterns of immorality of other sorts but you continually fall into the same sinful patterns and your conscience cries out and you need to see Jesus say, I can lift you up. But don't try to look within, trying to figure out how you're going to fix yourself. You're going to just try harder this time, but I want you to lift your eyes up and see me and come to recognize and anticipate my provision. There are so many of us who are trying to get control of life And he's saying, you cannot control your life. You cannot fix your life. But you can get your eyes on the one who can. So I'm going to invite people forward today who need to, whether it's overcoming a major situation in your life, overcoming an area of brokenness in your life, who've been trying to fix themselves. I'm going to invite you to come forward right now. We don't need anyone to pray for them. But there's going to be an encounter, a meeting, an opportunity to let Jesus lift her eyes. And I believe Jesus is going to be speaking to a great number of people that come forward. So if you wish, join me and let's make some exchanges with, with our God.
1: Good, good Father, to you are, who you are, to you, you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Right
0: now, where you are, if you're up front, if you're still at your seat, just tell Jesus what it is that that is is occupying your attention, that has grabbed your focus, that overwhelming situation, that broken relationship, that that major need in your life, the pattern of of brokenness that you see. Just uh, in your heart, just tell Jesus, here's the situation that, that has grabbed hold of my attention. I give it to you, Jesus, and I turn my focus and my attention to you. Right now, just tell Jesus what that is. Now, Jesus, we ask that you supernaturally will provide what is necessary. Give us endurance, give us strength. Give us a peace that goes beyond the circumstances. Let us have hope in the midst of darkness. Let us be like David today, Jesus. That even if we are walking through what seems to be a dark valley, a valley of, of death, that we will be be occupied with the evil with the brokenness because you're with us you attendeth our way you set a path before us father today we exchange these overwhelming circumstances that that just grab our attention and we say no. No more. And purposefully we lift our eyes to see you. Holy Spirit right now pour out peace. Mm -hmm. Just let it come. You are totally out of control. (laughs) But Jesus is in control. Jesus, pour out hope. You see no light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. But Jesus is already there. Mm. You have no power to overcome an area of sin, an addiction, a pattern. Jesus never expected you to overcome sin by extra effort. Jesus, we say no to the sin. Now, won't you give supernatural grace work from the inside out as often as we have just desires apart from your purposes Jesus will say no but we trust that you'll back up those words we'll say stop it to those voices in our head defining us in inconsistent ways of how you created us. We'll just say no to those voices. But Lord, won't your voice come loud and clear, speaking to us who we are, how you see us. There are people here today who have been called names, names by parents, by family members, Names by others. And you've come to accept that as your identity. Hopeless. Worthless. Failure. Stupid. Lord, we give you those names right now. Won't you tell us how you call us, how you see us? Just wait before the Lord. Let him whisper in your ear and your heart his words. What do you call us, Jesus? Brothers and sisters, this is the normal Christian life. This doesn't just happen in church at the end of a service, but this is how we walk out every day. Lord, I give you this overwhelming obstacle. I give you this area that seems to, this situation that seems to have no solution. What do you have to do and say in this situation? Here's the voice that's crying out in my ear. What do you have to say? I'm out of power to control and change life. Show me what you can do, Lord. See, That's the normal Christian life. And it needs to be happening when we get up in the morning, as we drive to work, as we sit in our living rooms, as we're laying in our bed at night, as we're interacting with friends and coworkers, That's the normal Christian life. And we get to enjoy it every single day. Every single day. Because of the spirit within. So God bless you guys. Walk out the normal Christian life. And enjoy it thoroughly. Because he enjoys it. God bless you all. We'll see you next week. Don't forget, women sign up for the women's breakfast. Men sign up to serve at the women's breakfast before you leave today. God bless you all.